speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. Amen. Amen. For better or for worse, I've never been someone who is especially good at math. Or to put it another way, math has never been a subject that's come easy to me. I made fine grades in the subject, sure, but I was never going to be the kid bound for MIT or a top engineering program. Now, if you want to talk political theory or theology or parse out the nuance in a chapter of American history, then who boy am I the nerd for you? But when it comes to wrestling with complex equations or solving for X, all of that is just simply not my gift. And because it's not my gift, I always, literally always, had to be the student who went the extra mile to keep his head above the water in each math class I took. And to be honest, I was okay with going the extra mile when it came to those classes, because no one is a master of all trades. No one is good at everything. No one is perfect. It can seem like some people are, but that's not reality. We are all deeply in need of God's grace, and thankfully, God is only too happy to give it. But the thing is, the thing is, when it comes to me, and more specifically, when it comes to one chapter of my story in particular, I did indeed meet a season where my relationship with math got a bit more tenuous. Staring down the timeline of my last year of high school, the pressure to get into the right university felt increasingly present. But even so, even so, at the outset of that year, I was reassured by my past experiences. I was comforted by the sense that if I just put my head down and do the work, then eventually everything will be all right. Well, the year, my last year of high school, went on, the weeks passed, and soon the back-to-school rhythm of life was in full swing. But part of what was different this year is that at the last minute, I decided to change up my course schedule. I decided to challenge myself by switching out of the math class I was originally signed up for to take the advanced placement option instead. What could possibly go wrong? Now, it may surprise you, it certainly surprised me, but somehow, perhaps through an act of God, I did indeed make it all the way through that advanced placement math course I took my last year of high school. But in order to get there, in order to make the grade, going the extra mile, so to speak, was not going to be enough in this instance. It was more like I had to go the extra two to three miles if I was ever going to stay ahead. And while I do think pushing yourself and setting the bar high can be good, this is one example, at least for me, where I do think I went just a little too far.
where I push myself a bit further than I should. In my previous classes, the ones that were hard for me, I got used to studying longer and taking some added time with my homework. But I needed more help to keep up this time around, which is why I was so grateful that my advanced placement math teacher made herself available for extra help several times a week, often sacrificing a portion of her own lunch break to be there and make it work. And because math is just simply not my gift, I was there, present for those additional sessions with my pencil and TI-84 calculator in hand just about every time. It was the only way I knew how to keep up. Now this system, this system worked for a little while, but there was one day, one day in which it really did not work and I will never forget it. On the other side of a math lesson that was trickier than usual, and just before a big test, the extra help session that week was more crowded than usual. And so there wasn't going to be time to get to everyone's questions, mine included. Pulsing with frustration and outsized feelings of stress because I couldn't get my questions answered. I did something that was out of character for me. I had an outburst of anger, a teenage meltdown. And because of all of this, I got sent to the principal's office for the first time in my life. Yes, what could possibly go wrong? At this point in the Christmas season, with today being the eighth day of Christmastide, the story we read in Luke's Gospel might already sound familiar to us, and there's a good reason for that. We read six of the seven verses appointed for today. We read them only a few days ago. They're included in one of the lessons we read each year at the Festival of Nine Lessons and Carols on Christmas Eve. But what about that one verse we didn't read, that we didn't get to until today? What's it say, and why does it matter? Well, if you were to pull out a Bible, you would probably see this one verse, Luke chapter 2, verse 21, separated out, sheared from the lines that come before and the lines that come after so that it stands alone as its own paragraph, because it is a story unto itself. But what does that story say? Well, I'll tell you, there are two things. Let's reread it. With the Holy Family's manger scene fresh in our heads, verse 21 tells us that when the eighth day came, the eighth day of Christmas, it was time to circumcise the child and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, of the two events just mentioned, the first, the fact that Jesus was circumcised, does not require too much extrapolation. Jesus was a Jewish male infant, and his parents were obedient, law-abiding Jews. 
And so on the eighth day, and in accordance with God's command, established through his covenant with Abraham, Jesus was circumcised. Yet when we turn to the second of the two events mentioned in verse 21, that Jesus was named Jesus, there is so much more to be said. Similar to their decision to circumcise Jesus, Mary and Joseph likewise gave Jesus his name as an act of obedience. Remembering our gospel passage from just a couple of weeks ago, the one appointed for the fourth Sunday of Advent, we are told that Joseph received a visit from an angel, a messenger of God. Now, do you remember what the angel said? The angel said, be not afraid. Be not afraid. Be not afraid for the child in Mary's womb is from the Holy Spirit. And when the dawn breaks, a new day will come, not just for you and for Mary, whom you will take as your wife, but for the whole world, because you will name this son Jesus, which means God saves, and he will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. In the header of the bulletin you received when you entered the church, you get a hint that today is a little different that it's not just a normal Sunday. Today is the feast of the holy name of Jesus. And the reason that matters, the reason why today is different, is because that name, the name of Jesus, means God saves. Yes, it means God saves. But how? How does that name save us, you might be wondering. In our epistle lesson for today, pulled from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, we read a hymn, a song that describes God's saving work. It gives us a window to look through, summarizing and giving a snapshot of the rich theology therein, of which there is a lot. Bishop Robert Barron puts it this way. The point is, the message of the hymn is that it recalls us to the reality that God went all the way down from equality with God to, identi to identity with the human race. That God went as far as he could go in the direction of God forsakenness, taking on pain, taking on sickness, taking on psychological and spiritual distress, even the agony of total isolation from the Father so that he could conquer them, so that he could destroy them, so that he could totally and completely rob them of their power to separate us from God's unfailing love. And it is because of that, it is for that reason that the people of God for centuries have sung this hymn, this song that proclaims that God gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yes, today is the feast of the holy name of Jesus. Yes, today is different because that name means God saves. But how? How does that name save us? At the beginning of the sermon, I told you a story, a story that ended in an outburst of anger, a teenage meltdown that got me sent to the principal's office. When we last left the scene, I was upset, clearly, because it didn't look like I was going to get the math help I wanted. 
which did not bode well for my chances of getting a good grade on an upcoming test. But that wasn't actually why I was upset, though I can promise it didn't help. The reason I was upset, why I was actually upset, was that I was staring down another deadline that was stressing me out a lot more than an upcoming math test. I was staring down the college application deadline for the school I most wanted to attend. And though I had tried and tried to come up with a response to the personal statement prompt on the application, I couldn't shake the haunting feeling that I just didn't have anything all that interesting to say. Yes, the name of Jesus means God saves, but how does that name save us? How does it save? If I could go back in time and tell a younger version of myself anything, I would tell him that the world is going to try very hard to give you a lot of names, a lot of identifiers that aren't your own. I would say that the world is very fond of labels and that it loves nothing more than to take those labels and stamp them across you, good and laudable as they might seem. So that eventually, layer by layer, you forget who you are, who you actually are. So that in time, you lose sight of the one stamp that really matters. Yes, I would say that we as people love to categorize, to say you're an A student and you're a B student. Your school colors are black and orange and yours are blue and white. But the problem with those labels, those names, is not that they're inherently bad in themselves. I think we ought to work hard. I think we should set goals and reach for them, academic, professional, or otherwise. No, the problem with those labels, those names, is that they can lead us on. They can make us believe, make us think, that they tell us more about ourselves than they actually know. When we come to church, when we hear the message that proclaims that Jesus' name, that his name, that that name is the name that is above every name, part of what we are doing is recalling our hearts and minds to remember something innate grafted into the core being of every single person. What we are remembering is that we are all, each one of us, made in the image of God, which inherently means that that identity our identity in Christ will always and forever be the first label written on our hearts, forsaking all others. Next week when we come to this place, when we return, we will hear, as we always do this time of year, the story of Jesus' baptism. And when we hear it, we will be reminded that the first thing Jesus hears when he emerges from the Jordan that the first word spoken from above is, this is my son, this is my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. As we carry forward as the church here at the corner of 10th and Broadway, as we continue to make disciples, to baptize often infants, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, what we are saying to those we baptize, and usually their parents and godparents, is that the world is going to try to cover you with labels. 
It is going to try to make much of the schools you attend, the homes you acquire, how much you have in your bank account or don't. And while we certainly hope your life is prosperous, that your labors yield fruit, that you know the joy of discovering a vocation, the reason we are here as a church is to remind you forever what that first label is. Because what is communicated in every baptism, when the head is anointed, when the sign of the cross is made, when the words spoken are, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and baptism, and marked as Christ's own forever. What is communicated is that you, beloved child of God, are profoundly loved, that your worth is inherent, and that there is absolutely no degree of mistake or merit that can ever, ever change that. Why else would we have named the church Grace? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.